Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. David, I'm feeling ready to run real fast on this <laughs> Tuesday. I'm feeling the inspiration bump from Joe freaking Gray. Yeah, Joe Gray may be one of the fastest athletes that has ever done trail running across so many disciplines, not just trails. Total beast. This is like getting to live in New York City watching Babe Ruth in the 1920s or live right now. And get to see LeBron James, one of the best basketball players ever, still going strong at 38. Joe Gray is 39 and has been crushing it for decades at the top level of international sport. It's incredible to see and to get to witness. And we got to witness firsthand. So we've been on a few Worlds teams with Joe starting in 2014. And in 2014, he was already dominant. He had already won many, many national championships. And over the last eight to nine years, he has just added to that. His stats are nuts. Can I actually, can I say his stats? Because I'm just blown away. I, I like numbers. I'm a numbers person. And I'm blown away by these numbers. Okay, I might need a math course before you go into these big numbers, but let's do it. Okay, Joe has won 22 national championships across multiple different disciplines. That includes cross country, mountain running, most recently snowshoe racing. Uh, <laughs> Joe just tore it up on snowshoes. He's a two-time world mountain running champion, and he's just an all-around athlete. And it was really fun to talk about his athletic prowess on this podcast. And speaking of that 2014 team, it brings back some memories for me. So at that race to qualify, Joe won the national championship, of course. I was a number of minutes behind Joe, but I also made the team. You crushed. I, well, for, for me. Um, but still, I didn't really see Joe much in that race. So not to say we're peers or anything. Um, but then we get to Worlds, which was in Italy that year. And the night before the race, Joe is team captain, takes us into their room, and it's just like, okay, we're going to do a strategy session, much like they would do in cycling or something. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the important places of the course, where you need to make your moves, who you need to draft off of. And the whole time I'm like, Joe, we're playing a different game. I am (laughs) just going to try to survive. Uh, Sure enough, I finished many, many minutes behind Joe, who crushed it there, as he does every time. Um, And it was just an ultimate experience to to get to see him in his element on the same team as him. Um, And we try to bring that out a lot in this interview. We talk about his journey as an athlete and how it feels to be one of the best that have Mm -hmm. ever lived. Um, But then also some of the pressures that come with it and the pressures that come with being a black man in America in a sport that doesn't have um, almost any diversity in some of the issues that he's faced with racism from when he first got into running to now. It was a really inspiring conversation. We also talked a lot about sponsorship and the financial aspects of sport and how Joe has thought about that over his long and storied career. I also really like the conversation. So Joe is a sub-ultra runner predominantly. And we talked about some of the differences between sub-ultra racing and ultra racing and how we can make sub-ultra racing just more sexy and predominant in the trail running culture. I think it's important. We're on a mission to do that. Like short distance ultra running or short distance running is really, really fun. It's so fun. And just more generally, Joe is emblematic of so many great things that running can be. Um, You know, he's put himself out there with this longevity in sport Mm -hmm. that is so inspiring. And I think we should all try to follow. Um, He also represents something so much more to so many. I have seen in athletes training logs when they say, you know, Joe shows me someone that looks like me performing at that level and it inspires me. Um, One of the things I mentioned on the podcast is that um, the Ultra Runner of the Year rankings just came out. And one of our athletes who lives on the West Coast said, uh, yet again, no more black people in the top 10. And his point being, how can people achieve something that they're not ever exposed to through the running media and things like that. And Joe has faced these issues head on. Um, he has confronted the the racism, but then he also advocates um, and does so many cool things in the running community to lift up and find inclusiveness, not just like explicitly with 
his presence in the sport, but then also confronting implicit bias and everything else that um, is a really big issue in a sport that can be so damn white sometimes. I think the best way to describe Joe is just a straight legend. He's a legend in everything he does, and he's going to be a legend in the legacy that he leaves behind. We talked a lot about his legacy and what he thinks about being this role model in sport, and it was really fun. We also talked about junk food too, which I think is important. Joe Gray, the legend, the LeBron James of trail running, eats junk food, and that was music to my ears. Yeah, my favorite part was he's like, I was like, what differences did you have to um, undergo as you've aged? So he's 39 now, still competing at the top level at really high VO2 max sports, which usually regress a little bit sooner. He's essentially said, you know, the whole cake I don't really do anymore. It's more like (laughs) half the cake. And I'm like, okay, that really aligns with swap, that you're still eating enough always. You just might cut back a little bit on the straight cake binge and just have a cake proportion for uh, your your activity level. We talked with Joe and, you know, he's shown his athletic prowess across many different running disciplines, but we have yet to see him perform in a long ultra. Yeah. And our mission is to get him to Western States and to power him with cake and Oreos. We should make him a special Oreo cake. For <laughs> that would be so good. And the other thing we can supplement it with is with some athletic greens. So getting to our little promos before the episode, athleticgreens.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Um, we swear by it. We are seeing really cool things. Last week, on last week's episode, we asked athletes to send in their heart rate response um, graphs when they first start taking athletic greens. And I've seen athletes have blunted heart rate response at lactate threshold, meaning that they're able to push a little bit harder. Not for everybody, but um, try it if you're curious. Athleticgreens.com slash swap. We didn't ask Joe about athletic greens. We <laughs> totally missed that boat, David. So the problem is I kind of worship Joe because even I remember being the tw- younger 20s kid mm-hmm. and see- racing with Joe and just looking up to him in such a way that I would n- never risk Joe's disappointment. Because if he said, fuck Athletic Greens and fuck you for supporting them, <laughs> I would just cry myself to sleep because it's too much respect there. Well, you talked about Joe getting really fancy in the team meeting talking about drafting. Uh, yeah. You should draft off Joe when he eats Athletic Greens. <laughs> it would be like the turbocharged approach. <laughs> Definitely. And then uh, final promo here is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. There we do bonus podcasts every week where we go through listener questions, usually five to 10 really cool questions every week on everything from training to life. It's like this podcast, but even better, I think. Um, and we also do a Sexy Science Corner write up every week that's really fun. Um, so we're putting a lot of our content there as we transition away from some of the other places you might see our stuff. So patreon.com slash swap or we do three to four questions if we get very distracted by a fun intro which tends to happen sometimes (laughs) Sometimes we have little diversions about life and movies and training and all kinds of fun things so but there's always a lot of fun happening on patreon but also too if you like this podcast like subscribe review whatever you do to podcasts it truly helps us out a ton and it's been fun to bring on different um interviews and different different people in this process and most importantly as we get to this episode go follow joe and lift up what joe's doing because joe is 39 now i have no doubts that he's going to compete at the very top level for years to come but you don't get to see the best the goat in real time in every sport while you're in it right like i was going to ask him how many people do you think will ever match your accomplishments And that was a leading question because I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think Joe is one of a kind. I think we're getting to see um, a true, you know, goat in sport, a greatest of all time. And so let's go appreciate him while we're at it. Let's support what he supports. Let's back Joe up in his journey to (laughs) legendary status. I'm so excited. Do you think he can win 30 national championships? 33. 22 is your lucky number. He's at 22 right now. (laughs) 33 is my lucky number. Do you think he gets to 33? I'm not going to bet against Joe. I don't think that that, I don't think anyone that's ever bet against Joe 
has had that bet pay off. They're probably quite destitute at this point. So uh, let's support Joe. Let's also support um, everything he represents from, you know, longevity to diversity in sport to eating tons and tons and tons of cake. The Oreo cake totally co-signed that. So without further ado, it's Joe Gray. Joe Gray, it's so good to see you. It's been quite a while. I'm so pumped. We go way back. Actually, though, every time we've seen you as we've gone way back, it's always been surrounding races. And it's so nice to just sit down and have a conversation with you. I'm so pumped. Yeah, no, um, thank you guys for having me. And it's, yeah, it's really good to see your faces <laughs> and uh, in real time here. It's been years. And I think both of us, you know, all three of us have gone through so many different life changes. So it'll be cool to kind of catch up on those things. Yeah, it's eye-opening. Like, um, you know, I think it's good to catch up here because I've never been able to get anywhere near catching up to you in a race. Uh, <laughs> our <laughs> listeners will, will like it. I've gotten beat by Joe by like 10 minutes in races <laughs> that are half marathon long. Um, so Joe is at a different level of any athlete, I think, in U.S. history. And I think some of our listeners might not know your full story and the extent of your dominance and how much you are a role model in this sport. So our goal is to talk about that a little bit today. So first, I wanted to start with, you just won the Snowshoe U.S. National Championships. Congrats. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, where'd that come from? Um, you know, this the, during the winter, I like to, a lot of times I just take a lot of time off and, um, and just kind of, you know, get my mind ready yeah. mentally um, for the next season. And uh, this winter, um, you know, I kind of want to try something new and, you know, try some road racing, try some snowshoeing. Um, even did, you know, a couple track workouts, uh, with, uh, some of my, um, teammates from over the years and, um, just kind of just playing around with everything and just having fun and, um, just exploring fitness in different ways. And so the snowshoe race, um, I wanted to do something, you know, cross country or something racing wise this winter and, uh, cross country, the nationals for it, the course was, in my opinion, it was garbage. It wasn't real cross country. I don't want to say it's garbage and disrespect like the race directors, but, um, you know, it's not what I would consider real cross country. I think real cross country, you know, I have numbers as to what I feel a course should, you know, hold up to, to, to be considered real cross country. But, um, it wasn't a course that I felt was, you know, cross country. So I decided yeah. to do snowshoeing instead. Well, you won, <laughs> I mean, for our listeners, you've won the U S cross country championships. We're not just talking someone that is dominated on the world level in trail running. Um, and that was the year it was in bend, right? You won. Yeah. Yeah. There. And, um, I won some, some NACAC championships and some Pan Ams, uh, in cross country as well. So basically course gets hard. No one's touching Joe freaking gray. We actually had a very serious <laughs> conversation too, before we recorded. And David was like, we shouldn't bring up any specific numbers of Joe gray, whether it's like world titles or national titles, because they're always continuing to evolve and grow. <laughs> and we could be totally wrong. Like the four world championships could be five or six at this point. It's, it's so wild, your dominance. Yeah. And I, I think that's the place we wanted to start because I remember back in 2014 when we were on the um, mountain team with you. Um, that I had already thought you had been in this sport for a long time at the top level. Um, at that point you would think you won your first, um, U S mountain national championship in 2009. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So 2009 and we were on that team with you in 2014. I remember being, Oh man, this guy's already a legend. And now we're talking 2023 and you're still mounting up these accolades won national championships again last year. I think we have 20 time 21 time us national champion is that is that correct yeah well, yeah it's it depends on um some people say if, if it's not usatf uh, like then it, you know like snowshoeing would that be considered 
I, 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 I don't know what to, to say on that. I feel like if it's called a national championship yeah. and you've won it, we're counting it. And I think 21 is special because now you're exhausting all the fingers and all the toes. <laughs> so yeah. one extra. What would be 22, I think, now? Oh, 22. I think it would be 22. Even See, better. I, I told you. It's if if you consider snowshoe. So, you know, on that, do you think, like, we're buttering your bread here. Um, you know, we have a lot of perspective on what you've done. But do you think your accomplishments are as respected as they should be within the sport of running? Um, I think it's respected amongst my peers, people who, who I race, people who know the sport. Yeah. Um, whereas like, if you are just kind of a fan of the sport and you just look at, you know, running media, you may not understand it just because you never raced me or you maybe never tried to do some of the races I've done. So you maybe don't have perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I think our sport really um, jumps behind like ultra running has a lot. It's a big engine. There's a lot of different media sources behind ultra running specifically. And so if you're not specifically in ultra running, you might get overlooked in our sport sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, anytime that you're on any starting line, whether it's a short distance race or a a slightly longer short distance race and David has signed up, I'm like, I'm sorry, David. (laughs) I'm really, truly sorry about the situation that you have to race Joe Gray. It's just different levels. Like it's different levels. I, my, my favorite images though, are like, occasionally I've been close to you at like mile one, right? (laughs) um, And then we hit like a steep climb. You just kind of like jump up the mountain. It's really hard to describe because you have a really powerful stride on steep climbs. Um, And, you know, you've channeled that to winning, world champions. Um, but you know, there's really no precedent, um, for an athlete going this long at the top level, unless we're starting to talk about like Kipchoge, um, and athletes like that, what keeps you going? You know, you've kind of accomplished all there is to accomplish in our sport, um, and even beyond. So what keeps you going? What keeps you pushing, doing all the hard training going all year? Um, you know, one, one side of it is, um, I I think I'm, skeptical of myself i'm like always doubting myself i'm my biggest critic and and i feel like i'm always chasing something and always chasing doubts that i have about myself and and what i can accomplish um and then the other side of it is uh now anyway um something that i think you guys probably are experiencing or or soon to experience but i think when you have children um you want to be an example for them of hard work because I think there's a lot of people we come across daily um, who don't understand hard work. They don't understand work ethic Mm -hmm. and some of the views that they um, come up with or some of the things that come out of their mouth. You understand that work ethic is a very big deal and it can help you in life and more than just athletics. And so just this way of showing my children work ethic with athletics, you know, I hope it translates to other areas in their life when they grow up and that they can see um, kind of what I've gone through and in, in my trials and tribulations uh, in, in athletics and yeah. how that helps um, push me in different ways. Yeah. So you said uh, something there about doubts, which from the outside, anyone that's followed your career, they might be like, how? <laughs> um, so I'd love to ask you about that. So when you come, when it comes to these doubts, you might sometimes feel, what does that look like for you? Like, what are your thoughts going into one of these big races? Um, how does that manifest? Um. You know, like for example, this this last year at the um, the vertical, the uphill, the the national championships for mountain running mm-hmm. at Loon. Um, you know, one of the doubts is, uh, can I win again? Right? Like, even though I've won, I've won it a couple times in a year, a year in a row consecutively. But in my mind, I'm like, 
well, every, every good thing comes to an end, like, can I win it again? And so it's like, I challenge myself, but then on top of that, there's a lot of these new faces that we're joining in to the race this year. A lot of really good athletes who have strong accolades from, um, objectively fast, you know, high performance, um, type of events like track and field and cross country and road racing. And, um, and then obviously you have the perennial guys, you know, like Wacker and guys who've been on the team who are strong every year. And, um, so just having doubts, like, can I beat those guys? Can I, can I compete with those guys? And so, you know, in in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you probably can't, but let's just see if you can. (laughs) Do you view the doubts as fuel or do you, is it something that like you dread? Um, I would say it's probably a little bit of both, right? Like when you're going against somebody who's really good and they're going to push you really hard, dread it to some extent because you understand what it's going to take to accomplish that goal. Um, but on the other hand, it is fuel at the same time. So, um, you know, it definitely, it burns hot and it, and and it motivates you to, um, take that race series and come in with the right mindset. Um, you know, to push yourself, uh, to be the best that you can be on that day and towards victory. And that's how you get 22 national <laughs> champions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever dread the physical pain associated with all of this? Because I mean, to perform at the level that you're performing consistently, especially in short races, in short races. And I've heard you talk about the difference yeah. between like short races and ultras before short distance races hurt a hell of a lot. Like they hurt so bad and it's <laughs> totally different than the long distance type of burn. Do you dread that feeling of pain at all associated with racing? Um, if something's wrong, then like going into the race, like, like going into pikes this year, I was kind of getting over, um, COVID. Ah. So, and I knew how it felt, right? Like I had tried to run, I had tried to work out. So I understood like, oh, damn, this is, this is going to hurt. This is going to be different than I'm used to and different than uh, I was hoping. And so, you know, I think when something's wrong or if you're hurt, you know, injury, that the the pain is definitely something you're going to dread because you know what it's going to you know what's going to happen <laughs> you know how it's going to feel you know it's going to feel way harder than uh, than normal um, and uh, but on a typical if I'm if I'm training well and you know uh, all is well and you're healthy I'm not dreading that so much as I'm focused more so on the end result yeah. It's so impressive because especially, I mean, I think uphill specific mountain races, some of the most intense physical pain I've ever experienced in a beautiful way. I mean, it's, it's a total journey when you're out there, but it's, it's unique. It's hard. It's challenging. Yeah. Joe, Joe mentioned Loon Mountain where he won yet another national championship in 2022. That's where we qualified on the team with you in 2014. Right. And we decided after that, that we were not going to do any more uphill races <laughs> because it hurts so bad. And meanwhile, you've gone on to win like you know, a dozen of these things. So it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's so remarkable. I guess one question I have for you is about the difference between like short distance racing and ultra racing in our space. Dave and I are on a mission. Short distance racing is objectively sexy. Like I think (laughs) if we had an NBC show for like short distance mountain running, it would be quite attractive. It's the stories are great. It's really fun. The pain cave is unique and beautiful, but I don't think it gets the attention that it deserves compared to ultra running in our space. And I think you're a great person to talk about this given your reign and dominance what do you think we need to get short distance running to be the like a bigger focus in the running community in the trail running community specifically um well i I think first off too like one of the things that's really difficult uh when you're comparing the two is like they're very different types of races yeah and they're going to attract different types of people as you said you know shorter races they're hard 
there, there's a there's a mental component that goes into it. There's there's talent. There's um, genetics that play a huge role in it. Yeah. And you know, it's not as accessible. Like for example, we don't know. You know, like when we look at track and field, we don't pay attention. Like the 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 average runner is not paying attention to the five k top athletes. Why? Because it's way beyond them. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't even see myself running twelve minutes for a five k. So I'm not even you know, or 12, anything for a 5k, it's like so beyond them and to even imagine what that would be like. And so one of the biggest problems I think in our sport is that a lot of the fans of the sport, they look at longer as better. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that every race can be hard. Like <laughs> I have people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, you know, th- this race is so hard. And it's like, yeah, a mile is freaking hard if you want to be good at it. You know, like every distance is hard. A 400 meters is hard <laughs> if you want to be good at it, you know, because in every event, you're going to have to push yourself. It's different. It looks different how you push yourself in different distances. But another big issue too, I think, is in ultra running, the 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 elite top field is, is quite diluted. It's small. Yeah. So it's easier for media to focus on these athletes and turn them into stars as opposed to you show up to a, a major world championship, like a, a sub ultra one or, um, you know, uh, one of the big cup events in the world mountain running association. Yeah. There's a lot of good athletes and there's some athletes that people don't know because they're jumping from another sport. You don't typically get to debut at a major ultra event. So, you know, and, 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 and the sub ultra world, it's very, it's more competitive. I would say just because you can't hide behind, um, a lottery system. <laughs> you can't hide behind the fact that the race doesn't have, uh, say, prize money. It's maybe a belt buckle, so it's not going to attract uh, top, top, objectively talent. You know, the objective talent because they don't want to go there. It's not worth the risk to them to run a hundred miles for a belt buckle. Yeah. And so, you know, it 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 appeals to Western culture because they're you know especially being Americans, it's a huge benefit because we can get sponsored a lot easier than say mm-hmm. um, East Africans. And so if you're from East Africa, you're not going to get into UTMB more than likely because you're not going to qualify for one because the qualifying isn't going to have enough money to draw you in or, or help you sustain your lifestyle. And, um, you know, so then you're probably not going to get a sponsorship um, for, for ultra running. And so a lot of them end up going into the sub ultra world where, like I said, it's like the wild, wild west. You don't know who's <laughs> going to show up. It's a very painful race, especially you get guys in there um, who take it out hard, like almost like that road running cross country background. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's two different sports. So I think the best way to, to, to grow um, the sub ultra running or, you know, the, the classic mountain races and things like that is to take the time and focus on the athletes and, and focus on the stories behind those athletes. And, you know, so people understand their background, you know, what kind of athlete we're dealing with. Um, you know, we look at the national championships at Loon last year yeah. for the vertical championship. There's a lot of top athletes there that people don't know because they're coming from different areas. So so if you're only trail running, you know, focused, you wouldn't be able to value or understand just how good a Garrett Heath is or, or Eddie Owens. You know, these guys are very good runners. Yeah coming into mountain running and you know i think our sport doesn't do enough to um build up the stories behind some of these athletes yeah do you and think, uh, like as you're traversing your career um you're 39 now is that right i am yeah, yeah. So i just turned 39 do you think you're gonna make a transition 
to ultras at any point. So you've done, you've had success at 50 K, um, in certain, in certain events. Do you think you're going to do that at any point? Um, I'm sure. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I'll do it as a professional, but yeah. you know, like it might be fun to just do a hundred mile race, like when I'm retired and just, um, for fun, for an adventure. Uh, I don't know if it makes the most sense for me because, you know, I look at the sport as a job also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have mortgage, I have kids, I have a family, I have things that I'm, I'm saving for, things that I want to do with my, my family and, and build their futures for my children. And so I, I look at the sport as, um, as, a, as a job. And so I don't want to run a race that isn't going to be financially intelligent for, for my wife and my children. I, I feel like I would have the same advice to people on the start line with uh, Joe Gray at 100 mile race as I said to David. It's Lord help your soul. Joe, <laughs> when Joe Gray appears on a 100 mile start list, it's like the, there's so many potential possibilities. I would and I'm pay, excited for that. Like if you're ever worried about finances, like Swap would just pay money to see you at Western States. <laughs> right? Like, see you running down those uh, hills to the river at mile 70. Oh my God, I would that would be like the best viewing ever. We should actually seriously consider yeah. this, David. I would love <laughs> to sponsor Joe from like a Swap perspective and just have this like scientific study of what happens when we unleash Joe Gray at Western States yeah. and make it happen. That would be so much fun. Well, I think we might have to wait. I probably want to run a more rugged one. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd be more interested in like doing like one that's more rugged. What that's, about UTMB? Like, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Like some, like a like a real mountain one. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see. I mean, so, you know, 39, how many more of these things do you think you can win? Um... You know, I don't know that number. Yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, I think if, if I did know that number, I think one foot's out the door already at oh, that yeah. point. That's a really interesting You know what I mean? Like if I told you, oh, I can only win two more or one more, then yeah, you're done. Yeah. The the possibility is something that keeps com- keeps you coming back? Like the maybe those doubts you talked about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, shoot, you know, God willing, if, I, if I'm healthy, I'm going to win. And I'm going to, in my mind, I'm going to continue to win as, as much as I can. And um, for many, many years. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes yeah. you get hurt and, you know, life changes and maybe your motivations change. And, you know, for me, I know if things change for me mentally, then I know I'm done. And, you know, those things haven't changed for me. Yeah. Have you noticed changes physically as you've gone through your 30s um, in these races? Like, have you had to alter how you train how you, and how are you feeling different during races? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know... I'm a fan of eating junk food and, and, and things like this. And, um, and, and I think I overdo it a lot. And, and earlier in my career, I could get away with it for pretty much all year. Yeah. Now I know like, okay, you know, the, you know, the week of the race, I probably need to be a little bit smarter about certain things. Um, because you just, you know, you, you can tell yeah. you, can, you just feel different and, you know, you know that you've been overeating. And I think as you get older, you do uh, develop more eating habits, different types of eating habits. And so, um, you know, I like to gorge a little bit. And uh, and that's something that I've had to, you know, my wife's had to kind of remind me, yeah. hey, you know, you, you, don't have, you don't have to eat the whole cake today. You can have a couple <laughs> slices of it and, maybe that's, you know, things like that. Maybe that's why you've had such an extended, amazing career, though, <laughs> is that cake. Maybe you're cake-powered. I was thinking the exact same thing we've interviewed. We've only done a few select interviews on this podcast, and they've basically been all of the greats. It's been really fun to get to do that. And I think a common theme, actually, is 
cake eating or the equivalent of whatever it is food wise for each athlete. And I do wonder if that's part of your big part of your success. Have you had to change anything in terms of, I mean, we're new parents over here in terms of dad life or adjusting to, to that new style and structure of family life? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, definitely life has changed. I would say having kids has uh, refocused me a little bit. A lot of the things that you do that are unhealthy, um, you're more conscious about resting. You're more conscious about what you're eating because your kids are watching you. You know, I like, I like to have some whiskey or scotch every now and then. Like you have to be careful about that. Cause it's like, they're looking at you and they might get interested in that bottle. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's definitely cut some of the habits that I've had um, down or, or out of my life to some extent. Um, yeah, I think, and, and, and then, there's some days where you wake up and you, you don't feel good. You know, I think we all have those days where uh, it's hard to get out of bed and, mm-hmm. you know, you maybe you got to work out and you, and you just feel kind of rough and um, your kids will say something to you or touch you in a certain way or look at you in a certain way. And you go from feeling like zero, you know, from zero to hero. And it's like, man, I feel ready to go now, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's uh there's a lot of positive that I think that have come from having children. Um, you know, I never really napped ever. And sometimes if, especially if my wife's not here or she's doing something else and it's just me and the kids and they, they want to take a nap. I'm like, well, maybe I'll take a nap and chill out. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, it's it, like I said, I think there's been a lot of like good things like habits that I've changed and, just being more focused because I know that I have eyes on me. Yeah. I like what you said about basically embodying the role model of it. And, you know, our kid now is just a few months old, so he's still just coming online and we're learning a lot, but that's really, really meaningful. And you're role modeling Fritos for him, David. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's your primary source of role modeling. He, Leo's <laughs> going to grow up as a Fritos-based organism. He probably will. I'm pretty sure. Um, so one of the things that we, we'd love to do for Leo and for our little kid is give him people to look up to. And we need to get a poster of you on the wall um, maybe crossing. I've seen one of you crossing the finish line at one of these mountain champs. That's what we need. Actually, I want the snowshoe one. So oh, yeah. I saw, Joe, I saw a picture of you running in snowshoes and it was like, you were basically like running the snowshoes off your feet. I don't yeah, think yeah. anyone has ever run <laughs> fast on snow before. It was on your Instagram. Yeah. And that's what I want on our walls. Yeah. 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 Well, that'll be on our walls. Um, but in that process, I want to tell your story a little bit for the listeners. We don't have to go through like your whole biography. Um, but be, just because like, I think the the story itself that we've talked to you about in person is so interesting and uplifting and it's coming from a different perspective than a lot of the community. And it's so important that we start to uplift all these stories. So um, like, where did you grow up to start? Let's just go back to the beginning um, and start there. Um, you know, I was a military brat, so yeah. we kind of bounced around a little bit, but, um, you know, middle school and um, a few years of, of my, my last few years of elementary school and high school, we're in uh, Washington state in Tacoma, Washington. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I, I would say I grew up. That's where sports started to come into my life and things like that. And what sports did you play growing up? I feel like Joe Gray could dunk in, uh, <laughs> snowshoes. <laughs> You're so athletically talented that I would just love to see and hear about the sports that you played growing up. Yeah. I mean, um, we did a little bit of everything. I would say basketball, like from an organized sport, it was mostly just basketball and, uh, and I started doing some track and, um, you know, I did some karate and, yeah. uh, even wrestled a little bit and, uh, got into boxing a little bit later and, 
still love boxing today. Now that's something that if I retired from running, I would love to be a boxer, but I think I'm too like a runner's body. Just, I don't think we translate well into to like being boxers. MMA. You want to a Joe Gray crick, Joe Gray, Gray kick would knock some motherfucker on this ass. <laughs> <laughs> not stand a chance. From those quads. I feel like that would be it. <laughs> it depends on the weight class, man. Like I'm, I think I'm too tall. Like, when you get tall, that's when it starts getting dangerous. You yeah. start entering those weight classes where guys really have a lot of pop. And so being a scrawny six, you know, six, two, six, three guy, yeah. I'd have to either gain some weight and go against those real big heavy hitters or drain myself and come into fights feeling a little, you know, weak. So, you know, boxing is a tough one. <laughs> it's funny that you say six, two, six, three, because in my head from just seeing you at races and stuff, you're 6'10". <laughs> like, you know, exactly. like people become larger than life. It's so fun how that happens. Well, uh, I feel like we have two different missions. So one of them is to get Joe Gray to run Western States. And the other is to be an MMA fighter and just pump it with <laughs> tons of cake. You can literally all the cake all the time. Go up to and I feel like this is your athletic prowess is you could probably equally go in both directions quite well. Yeah, so... Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to be a heavyweight to do that, man. Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> so they got to be more... I think, I think boxers are probably more... Um, discipline eaters than, than even runners. Yeah. Um, so flashing back to when you first found running, how did running come into the picture with all these other sports on the table? Um, you know, I was kind of getting into some trouble when I was in middle school and, uh, the PE teacher, um, he used like a lifelong friend. He's a really good friend of mine today, but he talked me into coming out, uh, for the track team. And, um, and he, you know, he was almost kind of like, he could maybe see where I was heading. Mm-hmm. He grew up in Tacoma. He's seen a lot of guys um, make poor choices and uh, waste their talent, waste life. And so I almost wonder if, you know, maybe he saw me heading down that road and um, he kind of wanted to, you know, put a distraction in my life. And uh, he was also the special education um, teacher at my middle school. And he got me working with the special ed students and um, got me to come out for a track. And, um, you know, I think it was just very life-changing, altered a lot of my perspective working with the special ed kids and seeing what they were going through in life. And, um, you know, there were times where, you know, me and some of my friends, we thought life was so hard and we didn't have this or we didn't have that. And, and you complain about the different things uh, that you're going through in life. And then you see these kids and what they're going through and you realize, man, like we should not be complaining, man, at all. And so. Um, but then also the tracks, the the running side, it, it distracted me. I'm, I'm a competitive person by nature. So um, it kind of pulled me away from maybe those uh, negative things that were going on in my life. And um, yeah, it just kind of gave me a different focus. That's so beautiful. I mean, I feel like I, I just can't imagine what a mentor you were. I mean, we talk about your mentorship and what we what we picture for you as Leo. And I imagine that stretches all the way back into your childhood as you as you thought about working with the special ed kids. Did you take to running naturally? I mean, was it you know, as you started running, I imagine you were probably quite good at a at a young age. Was that the case? Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I was winning. I, I don't I think I rarely lost in middle school and then um I did lose my first race. And I think that's when I actually caught the bug. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I was training much. I was playing basketball and things like that. And, and, you know, distance running, I just figured I could be competitive. I like to, to win enough that I could grit myself and, and take more um, torture than, than the other athletes I was going against. And then finally I went against a kid who actually trained <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, he, he, he had talent too, but he was a good athlete as well. I knew him. We became friends. We ended up going to the same high school at some point. Um, but you know, he, his school, they, they trained a lot, like, and we were just having fun. And so, you know, he beat me by like two seconds and I remember just being just ticked. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, man, I got to start training and, um, you know, I got to run on the, you know, uh, you know, a couple times a week, I'm going to be ready next time. And so it, I just kind of, from there, I think that loss kind of fueled me, um, to fall in love with the sport yeah. in some way. So I think I probably, had I not lost, I think that at the end of that season, I'm not sure I would have stuck with it. Mm. You know, you never know. Like, obviously it's like one of those things, like if you go back in time and, you know, I, a month before that I'm training and then I beat him. It's like the butterfly effect. <laughs> Maybe I wake up in, in today in present day and I'm in jail some or something, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm in some in doing something completely different with my life. So, um, you know, I don't know what I would have done had I won that race, but it definitely, I'm happy I lost it because <laughs> it, it led me down this path. And what a good lesson. And it's like also similar to the Michael Jordan as a freshman or whatever, not making varsity, um, that yeah. little, that little spark that just got you going, um, and just kept going. Did you have any, so as you're growing up, did you have mentors in the track and field running cross country space? Was that something you were even like cognizant or aware of growing up? Uh, not so much. I, it was more so I was inspired by, by different athletes that I saw and that I read about, you know, I, you know, I read about Jesse Owens and, mm-hmm. um, I was always a fan of like Dr. J and, um, Kareem, Abdul-Jabbar, guys like that, and in other sports that I played. And, um, yeah, th- those guys really inspired me and, and, and how they carried themselves and their work ethic and their motivation, their drive, all that. Uh, it was very inspiring to me. And I wanted to aspire to be uh, great at something athletically as well, just from watching their stories. Yeah. So, you know, all those athletes you mentioned, Dr. J, Kareem, you're talking about black athletes, um, which, you know, kind of a really, it's the most important topic that we have going today. Like when you were in middle school, in high school, were you thinking about race and running much in how you went through the process? Um, not so much until, uh, I think I've shared this story with people, but I, I, I had a race in a rural part and, you know, known to be racist. We played basketball there a couple of times when I was younger and, you know, words, would get thrown around and bombs would get thrown around. Um, and I won a race there and someone called me the N word. Mm. And, um, I think it dawned on me like, Oh, like, uh, I, I started to look at myself differently at that point. Mm. I started to realize like, Oh, I am the only black guy out here kind of doing distance running. So it did start to make me self-reflect and look mm. at things differently when I heard someone call me that. Um, and it wasn't something really that, uh, you would notice regularly, right? Because I played basketball mostly and it, and where I grew up is pretty diverse. I mean, it's, it's predominantly black for the most part uh, in, in basketball, yeah. but it, it, the community was very diverse. Like when you went to the mall, you saw everything, you saw every race, ethnicity mm-hmm. and um, you know, in basketball, same thing. You saw a lot, everything. And uh, so it never really dawned on me, but also in my community, track and field black athletes were typically sprinters or they Mm -hmm. played other sports and or jumps and so um very stereotypical so me being a distance runner i was definitely kind of like the black sheep (laughs) and uh at that moment when that 
when they, you know that person called me the N word, it definitely started to make me just look at everything differently. I was starting to, you know, starting to to think that maybe I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. How did that distribute throughout? like the next few years in your career, as you're thinking about college and stuff, um, you know, you're in, you're just figuring out who you are, right? Like, I mean, that is a process that goes on a lot longer, I'm sure in your life. And you have this experience where you're otherized in this setting with a slur that comes with all this historical, you know, horrible um, connotations with it. How does that change your trajectory or how you're thinking about the sport at that moment? Um, you know, like I said, I think it, the sport was kind of devalued to me a little bit at that point, distance running, you know, you start to see your friends that are sprinters and, you know, they're like, man, they're having a whole bunch of fun. They're around, you know, people that look like them. They have people that they can aspire to that are doing exactly what they're doing, who look like them. Um, you know, I didn't have anybody who looked like me who were distance runners, uh, and, you know, so a lot of times I'm looking to black sprinters, you know, historically, like, like I said, Jesse Owens and even Michael Johnson, you know, these guys are not distance runners and, uh, I'm looking to them to, to inspire me for distance running. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it was something that was kind of always in the back of my head and it, and it led me to, um, you know, what I would say in the last few years to promote the idea of trying to support other younger black athletes who have maybe been in the same in, in my shoes when I, where I was, you know, when I was younger and, and feeling alone and, and maybe they like trail running. And it's like, I want to be that face um, for those kids to, to see that, Hey, you don't, you can be the only person and mm -hmm. you can aspire to be like me. Yeah. And, you know, I can show you that there's a lot of opportunities and, and things that great things that can come from it that um, can lead you down a, a life of happiness and, and um, you know, full of experiences. And so, uh, just trying to be a role model and an example for other black kids who uh, were just like me, maybe felt alienated uh, being distance runners in their community. Yeah. And where do we, where do you think we stand on this today in the sport of trail running? I think objectively trail running is not very diverse. And I think that's something that really needs to change in the future. Do you feel like trail running is inclusive and what's been your perspective on that? Um, it, it's hard to, it, you know, it's weird because when you're a black person and you're in it, for example, Colorado, it's not, it's, you won't notice it as much in Colorado. Like for example, if I show up to a trail in the Springs, people know me. So it's different. If I go like when I've been somewhere way out, right. Like, and someone sees me out there, they're looking at me like, cause you know, I don't fit the bill. Like yeah. black people aren't typically out in the outdoors. So it looks strange. And so to some extent, you could say that's not inclusive, the fact that you don't feel welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they don't talk to you. To, you know, you say hello and they don't say anything back. I've had that happen a ton, even in the Springs. Um, so, I mean, in terms of inclusivity, there's that issue. But then there's also the fact that um, running media uh, for many years did not focus on what black athletes were doing mm -hmm. or even athletes of color in general uh, in our sport. They didn't get as much attention for mediocre or great uh, feats. Whereas, you know, I think it's pretty obvious and safe to say that if uh, there were a lot of white athletes who had uh, mediocre and also elite marks that were uh, mentioned or received some, some type of clout or, or um, publicity. Yeah. And uh, especially when I first got in the sport, there was a lot of that, a lot of, 
uh, events that that I was doing that weren't getting mentioned and people doing the same things and and subultra that were getting mentioned and it was like hmm, maybe I just didn't run well enough or maybe they just don't know me and it's like I kept making excuses you know for them for many years but then I just realized like no our sport uh, we have to make a change that people ahead of the media, you have to be conscious of what's going on in the sport. You have to be intelligent and actually pay attention to the sport and make sure that you cover it all yeah. despite what color the person is. Mm-hmm. I, so um, I'm not going to put the name out there because I didn't ask him to share this story, but we push an athlete that lives on the West Coast and he's a young black man and he was looking at the alternator of the year rankings to end the year, which is like the top 10 North American athletes. He's like, I've never seen someone that looks like me in these rankings. And for him, you know, he's he's aspiring to these levels. And I was almost like, true. And at the same time, like, don't put that burden on yourself to be the person that has to stand for a race because then it's not just the difficulty of the sport. You're also dealing with like, you know, hundreds, thousands of years of systemic oppression on your shoulders, which is a lot to run with. Did you feel a burden and do you feel a burden that like when you come on a podcast like ours, race is probably going to come up at some point and you have to make these big pronouncements that are then, you know, white people like us are, uh, you know, asking you to speak for, you know, an entire community. Does that weigh on you at all? Um, I mean, early on in my career, I would say like when I first started speaking on it, it definitely got to a point where, um, you know, I had done some videos uh, with Hoka and kind of bringing up the issues and, you know, you, you get some of the negativity, like the pushback. And I think that starts to make you feel like, man, this is weighing heavy on me because it's causing stress. Yeah. But then I realized, you know, just my personality, who I am, I understand that life is not all about me. Mm. And sometimes you do have to put yourself in a, in a difficult position to make it better for someone else. You know, there are sacrifices that you have to make in life uh, to make the next generation better. And somebody has to stand up for that. You know, there's been people in every year, every, every, actually every human to some extent has had to make some type of sacrifice to make life better or make a situation better for someone other than themselves. And, you know, this is one of those situations where I happen to be at the pinnacle of the sport. I happen to be a black athlete. So I understand that I know what it's like to be black and young in a sport where no one looks like you and understanding that uh, there are a lot of us, there were a lot of kids who were like me who left the sport because they didn't have people that looked like them um, to aspire to. And so I understand the influence I have in the sport and I understand that um, what I'm doing and what I'm saying, how I live my life, how I compete can change someone's life. I look at my life. Had I not gotten into running, I know where I would be. Mm-hmm. And it's not here. It's probably not having a family. You know what I mean? And and I understand that there's a lot of positive things that came from it. And so I want to be able to give that gift um, to other people other than myself that were maybe, like I said, experiencing what, I'm, what I experienced when I was younger. And so I understand now that, you know, it's bigger than me. And, and there are sacrifices that you have to make uh, you know, to make the world a better place. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a beautiful sentiment. Do you think that process, I mean, I think you've had a damn long career and it's been really impressive the longevity that you've had in sport just to show up and keep training and stay committed. 
has that impacted what you think about in terms of your the duration of your career or have you thought about that in the context of like being a role model for others yeah yeah definitely um uh, like it's it's one of those things like people give me energy even though they don't know they they do like mm. i am motivated i'm driven to do certain things because i know people are looking for someone um, to aspire to or looking for someone in their community to be great at something in a, in a sport where they're not seen, you know, very often. And so it, it does put some fuel to the fire for me. Yeah. It's remarkable. Um, and you know, as you leave where you were, I mean, I'm sure as you go to college, um, and you were recruited, it broadens out the world a little bit, right? Because local running is always its own thing when you're in high school. And then, um, you go to Oklahoma state, how did that transition process look for you in, you know, coming into this powerhouse, uh, program in running, like, what was that like coming from Tacoma? Uh, you know, I was in, I was in Oklahoma. So, um, getting there in the summer <laughs> when, uh, you know, a lot of the, the black athletes are not there. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a culture shock for me because, you know, Tacoma is very diverse. You, you know, like I said, you have, you see a little bit of every race, in, in Tacoma is crazy. We got is diverse when it comes to food. Yeah, you yeah. got everything, and so you get to Oklahoma. It's, it's a different story, and uh, you know I was a little bit concerned, and um, you know, but then school started a couple of weeks later, and you forget all about it. Yeah, and uh, you know it wasn't until you know certain situations arose where you realize like, oh no, I'm de- I'm very much black, and mm-hmm. I'm very much in a um, in a place where uh, black people have not traditionally been, yeah, uh, you know, what I mean, Oklahoma is not a very black state per se, uh, and so, you know, there were definitely some situations that reminded me of that. Um, but for the most part, I think when you're on campus, you you don't see a lot of the issues that you might see that I did see when I was way out of town, and you know, when we're traveling and going places. Um, you know, a lot of those issues are kind of laid to the side because you don't see it as much. You're focused on, you know, you're in school, you're in class. Most of the day, you don't have a lot of time to be traveling and, and venturing off into these rural parts of Oklahoma that often. As you're running at OK State and you have a lot of success there, um, did you envision yourself running for decades longer? Were you like, OK, this is something I really want to pursue after school? When did that like click on for you that this might be something you pursue? Uh, I think, man, in high school, you know, I made that goal. Like I, I wanted to, I wanted to run professionally. I wanted to be a national champion. I didn't, you know, the numbers that I had that of things that I wanted to do, like in terms of how many times I wanted to represent the U S team and be on national teams, how many times I wanted to win national championships. Those numbers are really small. Cause I didn't understand like, I couldn't, you can't foresee your future. No one can. And honestly, um, you know, I, I had those goals early in life and, um, but I am surprised, right? Like I didn't expect to be at this age still running yeah. professionally. Um, I thought it would be very difficult, you know, but the, the landscape has changed in the sport. Sponsorships have changed a lot. Um, you know, pretty thankful to have sponsors, long-term sponsors that kind of see, um, my dreams and my goals and uh, they align with theirs and 
you know, they allow me to kind of chase these dreams and, and, and support me financially. Yeah. I would have loved though, to meet that like freshman in high school that says, I want to win 22 national championships. (laughs) What would, what would you, if you could go back to you in high school or even early college and tell them, tell that version of you, what you've accomplished, what would that person think? I think, I think they'd be shocked at the number of things that I've accomplished, they'd be like, wow, that many? Like, that's that's a lot. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it'd be interesting to, to talk to my old self because I feel like I've definitely changed a lot, you know, definitely compared to my um, my freshman year. I was, um, I was not focused uh, on running or athletics as much as I am today. Yeah. I think one of the hard things about professional running, and it's almost counterintuitive until you've lived that life, is just how hard of a grind it is both mentally and physically, knowing that this is like your financial, your bodily state is hit, like directly connected to your financial success and financial outcomes, which I think is exceedingly challenging. Paying the mortgage. Paying the mortgage, kids, yeah. yeah, supporting the kids, supporting the family. Right. It's a huge burden. And I think sometimes it's it's just not recognized how challenging that is. What was it like coming out of college, negotiating your first sponsorship deal and thinking about yourself as like kind of a business entity? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't even think when I first started, I don't think I understood completely the the business side of being a professional athlete as much as I do today. I was very much a rookie and there wasn't a lot of information about it, you know, as there is today. A lot of athletes talk about it. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. There were, really wasn't that much information and, and I didn't have a lot of friends who had already made that transition and so um i don't know man that was that was tough like going into the first negotiations you just kind of like whatever they threw at you you just took it <laughs> um <laughs> i don't care if it was just shoes and and 500 whatever you just took it and you were happy you were so happy about it but i think as you grow up and you know i started learning more about finances and and um how much money you needed to to sustain your lifestyle and you realize like you need a certain amount of money that you need to make mm-hmm. annually you need to save a certain amount of money annually um you know i start realizing like man i'm never going to be able to get the the things that i want i'm never going to attain the american dream you know getting just shoes and a couple you know a couple grand here and there and you know part of that too is you you need to be a better athlete too and you need to get things under your resume and get get some things on your resume so that you can attract um bigger sponsors and things like that but then um you know on the other hand too um i understood that i was going to have to be better than your average athlete because i was not the typical face of the oh, sport yeah. you know like mm-hmm. i'm not in the media a lot you know being a black athlete there were not a lot of black athletes being um, promoted or in the media for trail and mountain running. And so instead of maybe uh, some other athlete, maybe getting one or two championships and then getting a fat contract, I'm going to have to win a couple more and I'm going to have to do a lot more in between that um, competitively to get the contracts that I wanted. And so I knew that <clears throat> and it kept me hungry. And, and obviously I felt, like I wasn't getting what I was worth for, for many years. And so it, it definitely drove me to, to be focused on, um, you know, training hard and, and competing at a high level. It is so fucked up that you had to go through that as you come into the sport and dominate. And 
it sounds like you were having a little bit of trouble getting some of the purchase with like contracts that some of your white peers might have had at that point. Is that like kind of how you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I won't say names, but you know, like obviously, if you follow the sport, and and, and I, you know, I know you too. You guys, yeah. Um, you guys are very balanced. You guys have a enough knowledge on kind of the ultra and sub ultra world. You work with a lot of different athletes. You've been and still are competitive athletes. So I think you guys understand, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, some of those athletes that I came in with, uh, some of them I was battling with, some of them I was beating and they were just behind me. And, and many of them were able to get deals that, um, that I was not able to get. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it, it hurts, but at the same time, I, I think had I just gotten all the everything that I wanted, everything that I felt I deserved back then, I'm not sure I'd be the man I am today in the sport. How you, you, know, you never know. Yeah, how you've reframed adversity at each of these steps is really interesting. But I, I think that that point is so important for our listeners to hear, which I assume, you know, a lot of our listeners are white. A lot of our listeners haven't even thought about these issues other than the fact that like, oh, everybody can go to a trail. But then at every single step of the way, there's these obstacles that you're mentioning that are both small and big. And some massive and, you know, probably knock people out of the sport way early. Um, and what kind of right. part, yeah. every step you're like this adversity I'm facing that is telling me no is something that is going to fuel me to crush some bitches <laughs> is like really cool. It's really cool. I mean, um, I, I wish people didn't have to go through that, but it, you know, hopefully you've broken some barriers though. I wish we didn't need a trail running Jackie Robinson to do that. <laughs> Have you thought about, I mean, I think David, as you're talking about obstacles, I think something Joe, that you've been very outspoken on and David and I have been on this podcast as well is doping. And I think when you're having these conversations about, you know, financial, I, mean, I think doping is, it's so multifaceted because you think about incentives, you think about athletes, you think about everything that goes into it. And it's very, I mean, I think when you're at the level that you're at and you might be losing to athletes that then serve a doping station, it is incredibly frustrating. And I'm just curious what your like general thoughts are about doping and trail running and just kind of the future of where we go in terms of preventing it. Yeah. I mean, uh I've definitely been cheated out of money before. Um, and thankfully those races had drug testing. So I was able to get my money, but you know, what about all the races that didn't have drug testing? It makes you wonder. Um, yeah, I think it's more prevalent than we realize, uh, especially in trail running nowadays, um, with the lack of, of, of anti-doping in our sport, mm -hmm. the lack of out of competition testing in our sport. Um, they've gotten better, but even still, there's a lot of races where, we waste funds. Like for example, I'm in, the, I'm in the out of competition testing pool. I win a championship. Mm. And instead of you using that money to test someone who's not in the competition, out of competition testing pool and, and, and making sure that the athletes behind me are clean, you waste the money to test me when Usada is already, or WADA is going to test me anyway. So it's like, there are times where Races don't use, utilize the money properly mm -hmm. for, for anti-doping. But then on top of it, there's a lot of races that just simply don't have any anti-doping at all. And they'll have prize money. And it's like, you're not helping our sport at all. You're not helping it at all. And, and you know, it's like the old um, quote, you know, help don't hinder. <laughs> and uh, you're hindering our sport in essence when you're not protecting and preserving uh, clean athletics because if you allow a pathway for cheaters to cheat, they will cheat. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like crime. You know, I'm, I'm, I, 
I was a criminology master. So, oh, wow. you know, one of the things, one of the big things uh, when it comes to crime, if there's an opportunity for me to do something and I'm criminally minded, you know, you got your car right there running and the windows down and it's a nice Lamborghini and you're a hundred meters away in a store. Yeah. I might take it for a spin because that's, it's, it's easy. You've created an opportunity for me to just take your car. And, and when it comes to doping, you got $5,000 on the line and there is no anti-doping. There's no language about anti-doping and, and I'm on dope. I'm, I'm going to show up and get that money. Yeah. And so it's like, it's sad that our sport hasn't figured a way to get more anti-doping and out of competition uh, testing um, in the sport, but we are doing better. It's much better now. And, um, you know, a lot of the big races do, uh, especially the races that I choose now uh, a couple of years ago, right? Actually, before you guys made that team with me a couple of years before that, I started kind of making sure I would go to races that had anti-doping. And I actually looked at my, my schedule and I was making more money annually because of that, as mm-hmm. opposed to going just mm-hmm. to random any races, top, you know, top races with money. And, um, you know, so I, I feel like the races who, that are preserving the sport, they're also allowing clean athletes to stay in the sport longer as well. Yeah. And so, um, you know, obviously we want long-term consistent athletes. We don't need athletes uh, who are coming in for a quick buck and then they're out, they're just cheating and they're in and out of the sport. Um, so I think, you know, the best way for us to, to improve it though, is going to be out of competition testing. Do you know how many Toronto's are in the U S are in the out of competition pool? Um, in trail and trail running. Oh, well, there was a number of years where I was the only one. Yeah, wow, that, that's, that's, that's yeah. my point is I, I was curious because, yeah. you know, we coach Eli Hemming who is in out of competition testing for triathlon. And then when it comes to trails, like he's staying in it because he wanted to kind of like, he had to actually be like, Hey, keep testing me rather than, um, and and it's, I mean, it seems like it's just trails are viewed as like, okay, we don't need to test anymore. Um, the best of the best. So that must've been frustrating for you that you're basically the only one. I imagine that almost triggered at the U S cross champs or something. Yeah. And that's the funny thing is it wasn't, I don't think it was from a mountain running result. I think it was from. I've been in it a couple times, but the time specifically that I'm talking about, I went in it, they took me out, I went back in, and I think it was because I won the Pan Ams uh, across country. Yeah, yeah. And so, then going the mountain season, I was in the pool, but it was like, it wasn't from mountain running. And it's like, yeah. shouldn't it be, come from your mountain running results? Like, shouldn't we have our own mm-hmm. dedicated funding to put athletes in the pool. And I know there is some work there. They're trying to do something like that now. Oh, super cool. That's, that's really exciting. I feel like our sport needs that to grow and to have integrity and to have these like really open, honest discussions on it. Yeah. So you have, you know, done the cross country, you've done road racing. Um, do you have plans to branch out outside of trail and mountain, um, in the future in your career too? Um, outside of like, the stuff that I've already done. Yeah, like dude, um, he's done everything. I know, it's true. <laughs> what is he like, gonna do? Like, are you gonna BMX race? <laughs> you know what my dream is, Joe? Like, is that you could get to the Paris Marathon, be that hilly course at Paris. Like, it has like two thousand feet of vert or something. I would be my dream, but of course, it's you know the U.S. trials are in Orlando. Are you gonna be doing any uh, road racing ahead? Yeah, I'm. I think uh, before trail season, I'd like to see if I can get um uh, Olympic trial standard, uh, for the marathon. And, um, 
you know, if I get it, I get it. If not, then um, no big deal. Because like I said, it's, you know, it's wintertime. It's just kind of giving me something to chase and then play around, um, you know, stay motivated during the wintertime. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so, so cool. cool. Do you, I mean, I think you've excelled at all of, you've reached the top level at all of these different sports. As I was joking with David, like to re- go to another sport, it'd have to be like BMX racing at this point. Yeah, so well, it'd have to be something totally adjacent. To running. <laughs> and while overcoming racism big and small along the way. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. Do you actively think, I mean, I think you've left already this massive impact on sport just by being you and, you know, being brilliant and putting yourself out there. Do you actively think about the legacy that you're leaving on sport and what do you think that is going forward? Uh yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if I think about the legacy I'm leaving on the sport, but I definitely think about um how I move in the sport, you know, and, and, uh, the things that I'm saying, you know, things that I'm promoting and who I align myself with. And, um, those things I think about because I, I want to be known as someone who aligned himself with companies that actually care about the sport companies that are uh, make top notch products and, and make products that actually help you perform at a top level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully that example, uh, is picked up by other kids and, and the next generation of, of trail runners, even, you know, guys a few years younger than me, for them to learn how to to move in the sport, but also to stay dedicated and perfect their craft. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think about things like that in terms of legacy, but not so much like the accolade, because um, I'm still in, in the midst of yeah, it, yeah. and I'm still chasing accolades. So it's like hard to focus on the value of those and where those land. I mean, I understand that, in my mind, I know that it's a big deal and, and, I, and I value it, but it's hard to like, you know, when I win a championship, it's hard for me to focus too much on it right after because it's like I'm chasing something else. And it's like mm-hmm. that that championship means nothing when I line up at the next one. Yeah. What would you tell like a early career athlete that looks up to you? What would your message to them be about how they can, you know, pursue a life in this sport? Um, I mean, I understand that it takes time, like be patient with yourself, be patient with the process, um, and make sure that, you know, you seek balance. I think that was one of the things that I learned later in my career. Uh, I wasn't balanced. I think there were moments where it was just, you know, especially early in my career, I was still working like full time and you, my life was running and, and work. And it's like, you know, the spiritual side had, had diminished um, the mental side. You know, I, I wasn't self-reflecting or, or checking with myself or, or even trying to cater to people in my life or, you know, spread love as much. So I think um, it's important to seek balance in your life and, and not be so one-dimensional. And it'll help you you know, stay in love. It'll keep that love fresh. It'll help keep the training fresh. It'll help keep you mentally fresh, physically fresh, and, and, you know, constantly falling in love with, with the sport. And if you're in love with it, you'll stick with it long-term. That's so cool. That's so beautiful. I love what you said about keeping love fresh. I mean, I I think we think about that a lot around here and right alongside these questions about legacy and role model and advice that you give to younger yourself. I have a very important question for you. Is Okay, this is probably the last question. This, so yes, this is a big one, this, Megan. This is a big one. Junk food. What is your, you mentioned loving junk food. We are big fans of food around here, all kinds of food, especially junk food. But if you could choose only one piece of junk food to have forever, what would it be? 
Oh, that, well, that's not fair. <laughs> okay, what, okay, we can we can reframe it. What is your favorite? What's your? We can just well, go with- no. So, so this this is my thing. So, if I said Oreos, does that mean I only get one type of Oreo, or I get any of the Oreos? Infinite, <laughs> infinite types of Oreos. You can get all the iterations, all the ones like different cream fillings, all that See, good stuff. Joe is playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. Exactly. You yeah. can tell. Oreo chess. <laughs> yeah. Well, either either it would be either Oreos or Haribo gummies. Oh, oh, I love Haribo gummies. They're so good. Yeah. yeah. They're both – actually, Haribo might be better because they got more – they got definitely more variety. Like Oreos I'm, – I'm an Oreo connoisseur, so I've had almost every Oreo <laughs> in, in the, on the planet. And in all honesty, I probably only like maybe like seven of them. <laughs> but – or I like most of them, but like seven of them, if I could have my choice, that's the only ones I would have in the house. But – Haribo, there's like a good 15 of them that I definitely can rock with <laughs> regularly. Well, we know how to crew you. We're going to sponsor you and crew you at Western States. We're just going to have platters of Oreos of your selection, Haribo gummies. You can, you can run 100 miles on that alone. I can't wait, Joe. Oh, yeah. as, if there's anything, like I know you do a lot of these types of interviews. Um, what I want is, okay, win a few more national championships. You got to do what you got to do. But then after that, let us like get you to a few ultras just so that we can tell the world that, you know, put respect on the name Joe Gray because no one's ever been quite like he has. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, man. I, I like, I like, I can't rule it out. I, I definitely, I'm intrigued with competition. I'm intrigued with a lot of the, there's a lot of cool races from one mile to 200 miles that are all really interesting. And um, so I can't rule out anything. Well, there's, you know, lots of kids out there, lots of other athletes out there that look up to you. There's also two podcasters uh, who look up to you so much. So thanks so much for your time, Joe. Uh, Huge fans. Joe, you're the best. This was so much fun. I'm like bumping from this. It's great. Thank you guys. And um, congratulations on, I I never haven't gotten to talk to you guys since you had the child, but uh, congratulations on your baby boy. Beautiful, looks healthy, looks happy. So it's the best. Uh, We're going to be putting that Joe Gray poster up in his room and he's going to be running real fast. (laughs) Awesome, Joe. You're amazing. Yeah, man. Maybe maybe I can be a manager for him in a few years. Oh, we would love that. Yeah, that would be amazing. He'll be there to crew you at Western States, too. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome, Joe. You rock. Have a great day. Yeah, you guys take care.